0: Before we look into God's Word together today, I want to pause and thank the Lord and thank you for your faithfulness and perpetuating the culture of generosity that God has created in this place. The beginning of December, we told you that we needed another miracle December. Every year works that way. We usually need an excess of $1 million, which represents three months of average giving compacted into one month. And this year, we let you know that we needed more than usual because of some additional one-time expenses. We needed $1.2 million to begin the new year on good, solid footing. And that exceeds anything we had ever seen in our history. But I want to tell you that in response to our simply letting you know and asking you to pray, You rose to the occasion and met the $1.2 million almost to the dollar, which positions us to be in a very good place as we begin this year of uh, transition and succession. So we thank God, but I want to thank you for your obedience. And again, you, you just respond because we make you aware of the need. You know we don't do any bells and whistles and thousandfold return promises and anointed hankies and all of that stuff. We just ask you to pray, give. That's the way that honors God. You did that. So thank you, and thanks to God who is our provision. <clears throat> I shared with Alan that in 44 years of ministry... I've never had a congregation fail to finish in the black by the goodness of God. And I didn't want to start the year I would be handing the reins over to him. So next year's all on Alan. (laughs) All right, this past year, ACAC quietly reached a very significant milestone. We didn't talk about it, but this past year we concluded 125 years Of gospel ministry. And we didn't do so with a small remnant of discouraged people talking about the past. We did so with a large assembly of diverse people excited about the future. And that's a clear indication that God is graciously at work in our midst. Because history affirms that kingdom movements that reach the century mark, let alone 125 years. Kingdom movements that reach the century mark usually show signs of their age. And those signs aren't particularly flattering. Many ministries, when they hit the 100-year mark, are suffering from lost vision, lost passion, lost power, and lost momentum. In some cases, they're suffering from spiritual compromise and have moved far away from what God raised them up for. But it doesn't have to be that way. Congregations, ministries, don't have to translate their age into inevitable decline or demise. Because a congregation that continually submits to the living God who is on record that he makes all things new, a congregation that does that can be continually renewed and move in continually renewed life. And by God's grace, we're seeing that. 125 years into our kingdom assignment, and we're laying the groundwork for future expanded influence. Now, obviously, Our blessing is not the result of God loving us more than He loves others. He does not. And it's not the result of us loving God more than others love God. We do not. So apart from God's goodness, which is extended to all of His people, how do we explain the fact that after 125 years, we're defying the odds and we find ourselves healthy and growing? Well, I think there's more than one answer to that question. But I believe foremost among them is our very conscious and careful and continuing response to a New Testament warning. And I want to consider that New Testament warning this first weekend of a new year and a new era. I've entitled this weekend's teaching Addiction or Devotion. Now, I've used the title before, but the material is different. And before we embark upon that teaching, please join your hearts with mine in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, by your Holy Spirit, enable me to declare your truth, enable us to understand it, empower us to apply it, so that we might be all that you want us to be, do all that you want us to do in a broken world that cries for healthy, Spirit-filled churches. Father, as always, we pray these things for Jesus' honor and in his great name. Amen. And amen. And as we listen for God's voice together today, may the Lord be with you. If you don't like being questioned, if you don't like being challenged, if you don't like being corrected, if you don't like being rebuked, if you don't like being humbled, If you would prefer to be continually affirmed, well then the Bible is not the book for you. Because the pages of Scripture testify that despite clear instructions from God, regular reminders from God, repeated warnings from God, and continual invitations to something better issued by God, God's people frequently get off track. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. We lose sight of what God's called us to do and how he's called us to do it. And the results are always, always disappointing. But thankfully, Scripture reminds us of something else. When God's grace is embraced rather than rejected, no failure is final. God knows how to get his people back on track. I would remind you God was recalibrating long before we invented GPS. I don't think he did so in that soft feminine voice, recalculating. But he's been he's been recalibrating for ages since the beginning of time. When we get off the track, he knows how to get our attention. He knows how to reveal our error. He knows how to calm our fears. He knows how to instill new hope, and he knows how to get us back on the right road. That's what King David was writing about in his best-known psalm when he said, He restores my soul. Our souls get messed up, and they need restoration. But the fact that God has been about restoring souls longer than anybody in the universe doesn't mean that we can be careless and still expect the fullness of His blessing. Because both Scripture and history affirm that while God restores our souls, He isn't obligated to restore our opportunities. Opportunities can be lost forever. For that reason, as we begin a new year, as we begin a new chapter in ACAC's story, I want to visit one of God's most repeated warnings. Because when God repeats Himself, it's for good reason. It's a warning addressed to believers. And it calls for ongoing intentional diligence and effort. It's recorded in the book of 1 John near the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5 verse 21. And it simply says, beloved children, keep yourselves idols. The writer Samuel Johnson suggested we often need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. And I think that's true. And I suspect that's why John closed his elegant discourse on loving God and being loved by God with a blunt, simple, no-nonsense command, a reminder. Keep yourselves from idols. If we take that injunction seriously, and we should, it demands that we be continually asking ourselves, Lord, has something or someone besides Jesus hijacked my best passions, hijacked my priorities, hijacked my ultimate trust, The warning compels us to ask, have we allowed ourselves to fall into an addiction to something other than God or something less than God? And has that addiction replaced our devotion to God? Now answering that question calls for judgment day honesty. But it also demands that we have a certain level of awareness To be precise, an accurate understanding of our spiritual condition requires an accurate understanding of what God's Word is talking about when it talks about idolatry. If we can't recognize the wrong notes in our lives, we won't recognize the correct notes. We'll be spiritually tone deaf. And if you're spiritually tone deaf, the bland music of unbelief sounds just the same as God's beautiful music of creation, grace, and restoration. Now, whenever we step into this world, we're given a lifetime membership in the Society of Adam's Fallen Sons and Daughters. And it ensures that we're all going to pursue addiction at some point in our life and in one form or another. And our membership in fallen human culture means we're going to have a lot of encouragement to do that. So we need to understand the difference between addiction and devotion because then and only then will we be able to detect idolatry in our lives. Now, to help you understand the difference between addiction and devotion, I want to use a food analogy. Have you ever eaten only to find yourself feeling really hungry 20 minutes later? Does that happen after 10 o'clock at night? (laughs) Most of us have had that experience. Why does that happen? How is it that you can eat and just a little bit later feel hungry again. Well it happens because there are certain foods that create a chronic escalating need for the very substances that intensify our sense of hunger. Now sadly we're not talking Brussels sprouts. We're we're not talking green veggies. We're talking refined carbohydrates, rice, Pasta, white bread, sugar. And nutritionists refer to those foods as fullness resistant. Fullness resistant. Because they interfere with the hormonal messages to your brain that signal it's time to stop eating. They actually continue to create a sense of hunger. They create what nutritionists call rebound hunger, And it becomes an addictive, destructive eating habit. The more you eat, the more you want to eat. Now, that biological principle has a spiritual counterpart that controls many of the choices of the unbelieving and often tempts the choices of God's people. Because our hearts may crave... And the world offers things that actually intensify our spiritual hunger rather than satisfy it and things that create an escalating chronic need for more of the same. Now, there are a host of illustrations. We make money only to feel the need of more money. Somebody once asked, how much money is enough? And the answer was, Always a little bit more than I presently have. (laughs) We buy objects only to feel the need of buying more objects. We devote hours to social media only to feel the need of more time on social media. We view pornographic images only to feel the need of more pornographic images. We play video games only to feel the need of more video games. We seek approval only to feel the need of more approval. We get on a treadmill where we experience the pain of ever-escalating need and always-diminishing return. And our souls become fullness-resistant. And then we resonate with the well-known words of the singer Neil Diamond when he said, I got an emptiness deep inside, and I've tried, but it won't let me go. And the ageless Mick Jagger continues to sing our unofficial anthem. You know it. I can't get no satisfaction. Now, if I could pause for just a moment. If you're thinking, Pastor Rock, those are really dated musical references. Dude, it's 2020, not 1980 or 1970. I know that. But I'm raising a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old, and they walk about my house singing the lyrics of songs from the 70s and 80s. We got my one granddaughter a karaoke machine for Christmas, and all the grandkids gathered together in the corner, and they weren't singing songs from this year. They were singing stuff I was singing in high school. And I asked my granddaughter, how do you guys know the words to these songs? And she gave me a simple one-word answer, Spotify. They're listening to Neil Diamond. They're listening to Mick Jagger. By the way, somebody needs to tell Mick Jagger he died about three years ago because he certainly looks like he did. That wasn't kind, was it? That wasn't very Christian of me. (laughs) But it was accurate. All right. Addiction has been called the spiritual disease of this century. But it's as old as Genesis. Because most of what we call addiction is in fact idolatry. Seeking satisfaction apart from God only to discover you can't get no satisfaction apart from God. Your soul becomes fullness resistant. Idolatry isn't new. The ancient Israelites couldn't get enough of it. They never saw an idol they didn't want to adopt. And they repeatedly invested their best energies in inferior things. And while some of those things weren't inherently evil themselves, all of them were unworthy as substitutes for God. And the track record of humanity where idolatry is concerned reminds us that we are all created with a deep abiding longing for God and only God can satisfy that longing. And if that longing is neglected or if it's misdirected to some inferior, lesser substitute, we find ourselves stuck on the treadmill of diminishing return and our souls become fullness and blessing resistant. So idolatry is very much with us. But there's good news. There is an antidote for addiction slash idolatry. It's devotion to God the faith-based decision to dedicate our heart exclusively to him. So when God in Scripture warns us against idolatry, God isn't an insecure deity attempting to protect his turf. He's a loving and gracious deity helping to protect our souls. He knows things inferior to him will never satisfy us. God's reminding us in the warning, keep yourselves from idols, that satisfaction only unfolds when we indulge our built-in longing for God. C.S. Lewis helps in this regard. C.S. Lewis said it wouldn't be wrong to say that believers are called to live a very indulgent life as long as we understand It's the longing for God that we are to indulge. He went on to say our problem is not that we desire too much of life, but that we desire too little. God's promise of eternal reward and abundant life, the awesome nature of His rewards, indicates that God doesn't want us to be sold out, compromised, half-hearted creatures, fooling with drink and drug and sex and status and power and possessions when He's offered us abundant life and eternal joy. Hmm. Now, The idea of being fully devoted to God, let's be frank, that can be intimidating. We hear those words, fully devoted to God, and for most of us, I think our initial response is, I'm not that good. I can't pull that off. I know I will fail often and fail at many points. So let me remind you, devotion is not sinless perfection. It's just single allegiance. Let me say that again. It isn't sinless perfection. It's single allegiance. If I could use an analogy from marriage, devotion doesn't mean you're a perfect spouse. There aren't any of those. Devotion means you're a faithful spouse. You may have your flaws, but you don't have any other people that you're devoted to. So God isn't calling us to a perfection we can't achieve, but he is calling us to do something we can do. We can be loyal. Just as a husband can be a one-woman man, a woman can be a one-man wife, we can be a one God people. Now as we step into 2020, we're going to be bombarded with invitations to idolatry all the time. And I want to remind you of what I believe are the two oldest forms of idolatry because they continue to be the most dangerous. The oldest idolatry, I believe, is confidence in our own wisdom, the belief that we know better than God. And, you know, every time you read a commandment from God and then you do something other, aren't you really suggesting that you know better that God missed that one, I I know this is a better way. Now, I call it the oldest idolatry because it was the idolatry of Lucifer as he launched his rebellion in heaven. He convinced himself he was better equipped to govern the universe God created than the God who created it. That he had better stuff for ruling over the creation. That his ideas were superior to God's ideas. Then that was the same idolatry that was embraced by Adam and Eve. They thought they knew better, and the rebellion advanced to the earth. It was the idolatry of Cain, the first murderer, who assumed that his ideas regarding worship were superior to God's ideas and certainly far more enlightened and sophisticated it was the idolatry behind the Tower of Babel. It was intended as a monument to united humanity's ideas and human self-determination. Mm-hmm. Now, despite the fact it has a abysmal track record, that oldest idolatry has not lost its appeal. In fact, I believe it's gaining momentum even as we speak. And that really shouldn't catch us off guard shouldn't come as a surprise because what does scripture tell us? Prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the ultimate restoration of God's creation, there will be a great falling away from God's revealed truth. People will prefer their own speculation, their own intuitions, their own ideas rather than God's truth. Human intellect will take priority over God's intellect. And that will set the stage for the return of Jesus. Now, despite the clear warnings of Scripture, keep yourselves from idols. Despite the warning about in the last days they will not tolerate God's teaching, but will look for teachers who tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. Despite all those clear warnings... I'm seeing almost weekly in the Western church new suggestions that God's people have had it wrong for thousands of years and now need to be corrected by a handful of enlightened people in the early days of the 21st century. And when I read what they suggest, I find them to be biblically contradictory, undiscerning, culturally compromised, but worst of all, arrogant because they actually use the word elite, elite, to refer to themselves and those who are joining them in this full-scale assault against God's truth. Now, if somebody is in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, the last word they use in regard to themselves is elite. Because God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. There's only one being in this universe that's elite, and there's not somebody in this room. <laughs> only God is elite, he stands by himself. Hey. And, and when you think about what Scripture says, for example, I think about the words of the Apostle Paul where he said, In the sight of the world, what we're doing doesn't amount to much because we aren't many powerful, aren't many wealthy, aren't many wise, aren't many educated. God has chosen the small things, the humble things, the simple things to confound the wise. So when somebody tells me they're a part of a movement of elite Christians (laughs) raised up by God to edit God's never-changing truth and the faith once delivered, by submitting it to the standards of human intellect in the 21st century, those are the last people I want to read. Those are the last people I want to hear from. Those are the last people I want to follow, because they are addicted to their own arrogance. You know, there's an old statement I heard years ago, and it still holds true. When it comes to the truths of God's Word, if it's new... It's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. God told us everything we need to know. He didn't need to repeat himself, and he's not editing his previous work in light of new discoveries. What poses as a new Christianity is just an old addiction and an old idolatry. The second oldest idolatry is confidence in our own power, the belief we can do better than God. And that always follows fast on the heels of the first idolatry. And it leads people to either ignore God entirely or take matters into our own hands, do what we want to do, and then expect God to come behind us and bless our efforts. The world always does the former. It ignores God. And sadly, sometimes the church does the latter. It says, We'll do this, and God, you just come along and bless it. Now, one reason we are enjoying God's favor after 125 years is the founding pastor of this kingdom outpost established a spiritual DNA that we have consciously sought to perpetuate and fought to preserve. Because on the day when he was asked to superintend this work in the city of Pittsburgh, here was his response, quote, I am not capable of superintending God's work, but if the Holy Spirit will superintend this work, I'd be glad to run errands for the Holy Spirit, end quote. Those simple words established a culture, a DNA of dependence upon God, not our own wit, not our own power and devotion to God as he speaks to his church through the Holy Spirit. And cultures of dependency and devotion will always outlive and outperform cultures of addiction to human intellect and human effort. So today as we celebrate 125 years of God's faithfulness, as we embark upon a new era, I want to leave you with Two thoughts. First of all, every desire ultimately turns out to be a desire for God that only He can satisfy. In the year ahead, if you find yourself feeling a restlessness in your soul, It's not more money you need. It's not more stuff you need. It's not more porn you need. It's not more sex you need. It's not more time on social media you need. It's not more affirmation you need. It's not more acceptance you need. It's not more distractions you need. It's not more happiness you need. It's more of God that you're hungering for. And only God will satisfy that hunger. Anything and everything else will leave you fullness resistant. You won't get no satisfaction. You'll try, but that emptiness won't let go. The second thing I want to remind you of is that 125 years is not a time for building monuments. It's a time for leaving footprints. Why do I say that? Monuments essentially say, this is how far we got before we stopped. Footprints say, this is how far we came before we moved on. So we don't want to stop and celebrate 125 years. We want to dive headfirst into year 126, depending on God's wisdom, depending on God's power, doing God's work, doing it God's way, keeping ourselves from idols, whether they come Disguise this blatant evil or come disguised in church clothing we want to keep ourselves from idols so that we can stay on track and keep the main thing the main thing which is the glory of God the restoration of lost people and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen? amen gracious heavenly father we do get off track rather easily and frequently all of us do But, Lord, you restore the souls of those who look to you. You get us back on track. Father, I pray as a kingdom outpost in the city of Pittsburgh, one that is privileged to touch lives all around the world through missions efforts, Lord, I pray that we would preserve and protect the DNA of utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That we would simply be a people who run errands for God. Never confident in our own intellect, never confident in our own wisdom, but absolutely confident in you. Don't let us fall prey to addiction, but instead help us to grow in devotion. And let that be... Let that be the key to the years ahead until Jesus returns. And we pray that in his great name. Amen.